Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human podcast, where the human manager, Mark Labasque, features experts who have a track record in humanizing workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive. Hey there, it's Mark Labusque for the Simply Practically Human podcast. And uh, in this episode, I was joined by fellow Aussie, now living in Singapore, Margie Worrell, who is the best-selling author of five books, including her latest one that she should be on a round-the-world tour now promoting, but obviously she can't do that, um, which is called You've Got This. Our conversation today was all about facing our fears in a crisis. And, um, you know, if there is ever a crisis that we've been going through, it's happening right now. So Margie shares a little bit of a backstory about how she ended up in this space, which is really about helping other people play a bigger and braver game, facing into their fears, um, understanding what's holding them back. And then Margie, in the way that she's able to help people to work through that. And she shares some pretty simple and practical tools and tips today to do that, which I won't do a spoiler on those. But there's a couple of things that she said today that I'd like to share with you now as a bit of a appetite uh, wetter for getting into the episode. One of the things that Margie says is that courage is a muscle. And we actually, like any other muscle, we can develop that muscle. But it takes work. And we've got to be prepared to do that work. And the work is made up of facing into not just one big thing, but facing a series, as she said, of thousands of little challenges along the way that help to build that muscle up to be able to then perhaps face into what's going on today, the one big thing. And she also says it's no surprise that some people are coping better than others based upon how much they've already stepped into their courage. The other thing she said, which was amazing, was that I want to define myself and I don't want to be defined by others. So she shares a story. Again, I won't go into that story that will give you a good understanding of why being brave, being courageous and and facing into your fears is important to Margie. I really enjoyed this episode. You know, Margie gave up her time doing this while at the very same time her husband, Andrew, is in hospital in Singapore with COVID-19. He's at around about day 12. And if you want to check her out, check her Facebook site out because she's actually shot videos of every day on, on the way that she's been coping with this and it'll give you a really good sense of how Margie's been able to demonstrate being brave and being courageous facing her own crisis. So sit back, have a pen and pad there again, take some notes and enjoy this episode. Maggie, great to have you on the podcast. Uh, Good to be with you, Mark. Fantastic. We'll get into some of the things you've been going through in the last 10 days shortly, but before we get there, perhaps a little bit of background, a bit of the Margie Worrell background. So, you know, where you grew up and, and sort of how you got to where you did. Uh, yes, yeah. so I grew up, um, well, I was born Margaret Mary, um, big sister of seven kids, have an older brother, Frank, and uh, grew up in East Gippsland, a little place called Nungurna. And uh, my dad milked cows for 50 years. Yep. And uh, so it was a pretty organic sort of childhood on a dairy farm. And then um, moved to Melbourne, big city, when I was 18 and uh, have lived around the world much of the last 25 years. Along that way, have had 
many, many moments well and truly outside my comfort zone and many times where I've had to trust myself that I'll figure it out even when I'm not quite sure how. And of course, as we were saying just before we started, I've been married actually nearly 20, well, 26 years and have four fantastic kids who are also now very much global citizens from our rather global existence over the last 20 odd years. So yeah, I'm sort of juggling lots of balls between being a mum and supporting my husband and his career as, as a wife and uh, also pursuing my own sort of passion and career calling, which is obviously how I've landed here with you now. Absolutely. So let's talk a bit about that calling of yours, because I know lots of people that have seen you speak and have read your books and this whole passion you have for stepping into your own fears and and, and sort of looking back into that mirror. What drew you to that type of work? Yeah, good question. Look, I think um, I probably always had a bit of a sense of adventure. I mean, as an 18-year-old, not everyone in the in the bush went to uni, but I just knew I didn't want to stay up there. I didn't want to get a job in, you know, in the chemist in Bansdale. I really wanted yeah. to just go and do something else. And obviously, I remember doing a marketing degree and my dad thought the whole time I was doing it that it qualified me to work at the Vic Market in Melbourne. He'd be like, what the heck is a marketing degree? I didn't really know what it was either. It just sounded good. And then, of course, when I, I finished uni and I spent six months working a few jobs and then went around the world for your backpacking. And I think just, you know, that a lot of Aussies do that, of course, but I think just, I just wanted to explore the world and see what was out there and see what was possible. And then I did more and more travel that kind of got more adventurous as I became more confident as a, and more adventurous as a, in my early twenties. But in terms of the work I do, that really, I changed career direction in my late twenties. And I think that really came about, to be honest. I struggled with an eating disorder through my teens and in my early 20s I had bulimia. I, in my mid-20s, was living in Papua New Guinea for a few years and I found myself there being a sort of a confidant slash counsellor almost to friends. Everyone would kind of share their stuff and, you know, and we were all dealing with our own stuff. And it just really made me feel, you know, I would really love to work in an area where I help people deal with the stuff that's in our heads that gets in the way of us enjoying our lives more. And so that's what sent me off on the path. Initially, I did psychology. I'd never heard of coaching. And then I heard of coaching and trained as a coach. And then one thing's kind of organically very much led to another. I never, I never set out to become an author or I never even knew there were people who got on stages to speak and got paid money for it. I honestly didn't even know that existed. And so that's what obviously I do a lot of now, though not at this second now. because that's <laughs> Yeah, conferences are banned. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so it's sort of, I just have a deep sense of passion to help people live their own purpose and potential. And I see so many people live in such a restricted circle of what's possible for them. And just by personality who I am, I'm like, oh, I want people to live the biggest version of their own lives. And uh, that's just something that drives me. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I see so much of that myself. People, they call it playing small or whatever we want to call it. Can you recall, I guess, getting into this work, I'm going to make some assumptions here, but when you're helping other people, one of the things that, that I find is that you've got to be able to help yourself first and be able to do some of this discovery for yourself. Was there a particular moment for you where you had to face into a, a fear or something that was there for you that you just went, stuff it, I'm going to deal with this right now? Can you recall any particular moment or there were a series of moments along the way? Honestly, be, probably thousands of them, yeah. hundreds of them. I, something that was was quite significant for me, though, at the time, it was 
it was in the midst of all of this. I was, what, 28 and I was living in Papua New Guinea. I was living in Port Moresby and I was working for a small company there. I was in marketing and I was the kind of client services manager. I was pregnant, about 18 weeks pregnant with my first child. I'd been married a couple of years and I ended up, these rascals, as they called them up there, came in and held a gun at my head and wanted me to open the safe behind me. Wow. And I couldn't open the safe. We had cash on the premises for the local staff because it was just, we were closing for Christmas the next day. And they kept stopping the gun, you know, at, right at my forehead, you know, open the safe, open the safe. And I was like, I can't open the safe. And I, I laid on the ground then. I was forced to lay on the ground. And, and I remember this guy, one of them, he put his fingers up a hand between my legs and I was just like, oh God, I'm so terrified they're going to take me back to the village and, and gang rape me because uh, that was actually not uncommon. You know, mm. it was actually all too common. And I remember just laying there what felt like forever and probably after five minutes they found the cash somewhere else in the, actually the general manager's office because I had nothing to do with payroll. And then I flew to Australia the next day as I was already planning to do for Christmas. So this was 1996 and then on New Year's Eve that day, I went in to have my 19-week ultrasound. I was actually back up in, in East Gippsland. I was at the Bairnsdale Hospital and I remember them saying, look, this baby has died. Uh. And it really, to be honest, I mean, it just shocked me. It just, my whole world just, I just like, I couldn't believe it. And I think, Mark, I think a lot of people are going through this right now. My assumptive world, to use a term from psychology, yeah. we have this idea of how life is and in my world, one, I was never someone who had been an armed robbery, even though I lived in a dangerous country. I thought I was a bit invincible. That wouldn't happen to me. Yeah. And secondly, it never occurred to me that I would have a miscarriage. <laughs> um, second to trimester, it just never occurred that I would have that. And in the weeks and months that followed, obviously uh, there was a lot of people who were very sympathetic to me and a lot of people are oh, feeling so sorry for me. And I just remember as I journaled a lot and tried to make sense of how these two things 10 days apart could have happened. I just remember very clearly thinking, I so don't want this to be how I'm defined. I don't want to be known as the poor girl who had the was in the robbery and then lost the baby. And it was significant, this moment of choice. Now, I want to define myself. I don't want to be defined by what's happened to me. And then actually then in the January, I decided, you know what? I stayed at my job, but I decided I'm going to go back and start studying psychology. I already knew I wanted, I wanted to do that, but I just wasn't going to because I was going to be having a baby that year, my first child, our first child. So that was sort of took me off on a different path. But, you know, over the last, gosh, so, so what's that 20 something years, three years ago or whatever, there's been so many times moving around the world with my husband's work, raising four kids, just even deciding to start even my coaching business. I was living in Dallas, Texas. I had four kids under six and I thought, no, I really want to start a business as a coach. I had zero network. I stayed home with four kids. But again, I think a key thing for me has always been on my deathbed one day, I don't want to look back and go, what if I tried? Yeah, good one. Like it. It's, um, it's interesting, just a couple of things you said then before around, like you said, there could be thousands of moments. In your new book, you've got this. I haven't had a chance to read it. I've had a bit of an understanding of it from just sort of cheat reading, as I'll call it. But is there something here where when people are facing into fears, they don't understand that there are maybe a series of events along the way, little things they've got to get through rather than just one big thing? What, what, what are your thoughts around that? I think absolutely that's true. And I, I think courage is a muscle, right? Yeah. And we build it with practice. 
And uh, my book, Brave, my a prior book, which, um, you know, I was called Train the Brave in terms of this concept of if we're constantly challenging ourselves, we build up that muscle so that when big shit happens and big shit's happening right now, we're in the middle of this global shit storm, to, just mm. to use that phrase, those people who've already weathered a few storms along the way are going to deal with this storm a whole lot better than those who've never had the storms. Yes, absolutely. And either sometimes storms happen to us, but, you know, I know for me, sometimes it's been things like even having my fourth child, like that was bringing on a whole lot of extra, I guess, stress and pressures and problems into our life saying, let's have a fourth kid because yep. they're exhausting and they're all sorts, you know, it wasn't an easy one either. But I think I've built up my capacity and my faith in my capacity to deal with life's challenges as they roll in. Yeah. So it's not that I haven't felt overwhelmed and we obviously haven't got to my situation over the last two weeks, but it's not that I haven't felt overwhelmed in the last couple of weeks with everything. It's more that I have got better at trusting in myself Yeah. that whatever happens, I can handle it and I'll figure it out. Yeah. So let's get to that situation in the last week or so because, you know, one of the things for me in watching your initial video that you posted about Andrew and being diagnosed with the coronavirus and watching you all the way through that and what you just said before, there's a, there's a very, very – for someone who works a bit in this space, I can see that there is a high element of self-trust going on with you. It's like I'm going to work this shit out. So what's the process that you've gone through over that time that might be helpful for others listening now to, yeah. particularly for people who haven't faced a shit storm before? Yeah, and I think I get that there's some people who that this is just so much even more confronting for. I'm not saying I'm not confronted. I'm not saying I haven't felt vulnerable or, or anxious or overwhelmed. I'm not saying any of that. But I think I'm probably better at being able to pick myself up again and more quickly yep. um, and come back to, you know, my centre versus feeling completely, totally overwhelmed. And so for anyone that's feeling massively confronted, massively overwhelmed, I think really important is to be able to just recognise when fear is taking over because fear is wired into our DNA and when our anxiety dials up as it does when there's uncertainty. We all want certainty. We want to know what the future is going to hold. And right now, we don't know what it's going to hold. We don't That's know it. when the conferences are. I don't know when my income is going to kick in again, you know, my main source of it. And so we just don't know. And so we're living with this massive uncertainty and that creates anxiety. And w the more we feel anxious, the more we turn our forecasts of the future into fear casts of the yeah. future. Yeah. And we, worst case, catastrophize and we can literally get ourselves into this hyper-anxious state. And so I think firstly just stopping and that's where just mindfulness techniques that can help bring us into the present, you know, just some simple as, you know, and I'm no, you know, yogi breathing meditation teacher, but I do a lot of practice at just simply, you know, using a guided meditation or something just to stop, slow yeah. me down and get me just present to my breath. And that grounding, even feeling the feet beneath you, becoming back to the present, acknowledging, noticing what you're feeling, noticing what you're telling yourself, because we emote before we reason, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, I've had anxiety raise up before. I'm like, okay, but then what thoughts am I buying into that are amplifying that emotion? What thoughts am I buying into now that are leaving me, making me feel so even more anxious? And so for me, just one, taking a few big deep breaths, feeling your feelings all the way through, noticing where you're feeling anxious, placing your hand on that part of your body, breathing into it, 
And then coming back to, it's like, okay, you know, what do I really know to be true right now in my ability? Whatever the challenges have I handled in the past? When have I dealt with difficult things? And I think sometimes just remembering where we've we've managed to overcome things in the past, everybody has, or we've dealt with disappointments and getting really grounded in our own values and in those attributes that we really want. Who do we want to be in this moment? And I think right now being very deliberate in who we choose to be in the middle of this shitstorm. Yes. That doesn't mean I'm always calm and I'm always optimistic and I'm always feeling brave. But in the moments when I start feeling otherwise, just stopping and kind of just becoming more grounded in my innate capacity to meet it. And everyone can do that. Every That's available to everybody we just have to stop and reel in those fearful thoughts because the more we focus on what makes us anxious, the more anxious we become. And a lot of people are spending a lot of time focusing on what makes them anxious and what could go wrong and how bad it is. And that just leaves you living in a nightmare that's far bigger than it needs to be. Yeah, I think you've hit on a whole lot of things there. I like the choose to be bit. As I've got my today, I choose to be t-shirt on today, which is all about this idea of what are the choices that we make as we turn up to any any particular moment. The stories that we create in our in our minds or in what I call our bad news filing cabinet in our head, the one that we continue to get things out of. Yeah. So in your new book, in the and what a title for the times. You've got this. Like mm. what are the real learnings in there? You've just shared some things now, but if there's a massive takeaway for people now who are maybe caught up in the complexity of the fear and all of the doom that's coming, and the media hasn't been helping with some of that, I, I get that, but what would be something that could ground someone now? Right, okay. So I would just remind yourself that this too shall pass. I mean, it won't stay this way forever. Yeah. And when you're in the middle of a dark time, whatever it is, you know, sometimes it's a relationship breakup, financial, diff- we think it's just going to be this way forever and it won't be this way forever. And actually psychology, we know that no matter how bad things feel right now, we sometimes think it's going to stay feeling this bad. It won't. This will pass. Yeah. And so one, just recognizing that. Two, just kind of handing over what's outside your control. There's a lot that's outside our control. Surrender what's outside your control. Don't overthink it. You don't know. So don't try and figure out what's happening in six weeks time. We don't know. But then double down on what is within your control. Yeah. And I wrote about this and you've got this and I, I, there's a whole chapter there on rituals that help us feel stronger, practices, the things that will help us be stronger in how we feel physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Yeah. And I'm, I double down. I mean, I'm really practicing. I'll show you this. I know that people won't be able to see this, but this is my little, you can see this. When I found out that I was going to be in 14 days of quarantine after my husband was diagnosed with COVID-19 two weeks ago, and he's been in hospital, I haven't seen him for 12 days. I just created my own little thing there. It's like every day I want to make sure I meditate. I write in my journal. (laughs) I do some basic exercises just to keep my body, you know, I'm not doing any cardio much, but at least I'm doing something. And I'm just doubling down on the things that are in my control that help me feel stronger and connecting out with other people. And I, I guess I have been doing daily updates on Facebook. And part of that is my work gives me a strong sense of purpose. So right now in the middle of this, I feel really purposeful around my work to help people be braver in this moment of fear of collective fear, but also to share my own vulnerability and when people reach out and are supportive to accept that support and not try and be like, oh, yeah, I got it all together. I don't need any. No, I'm like, no, I really appreciate you offering to drop me a coffee or have a chat or, you know, like 
I'm taking in all the love because I know that that doesn't only strengthen me, but I know that people genuinely want to give it. And I think for all of us now, like just like I genuinely want to support others too. I think there's a moment right now for us to tap into the beautiful power that comes from lifting people around us up, getting the focus off ourselves and onto other people. I really like the thing about the vulnerability, about showing your own vulnerability. I think particularly for managers and for leaders in these times, it's like we've got to have our shit together. Uh, how are you feeling? I oh, know I'm good. How are you feeling? No, I'm good. It's like, no, how are you feeling? And they, they just want to go to talking about thinking and about their next task. And I think there's a big lesson in what you just said before is I think you've got to be prepared to go first in that you know, say something like, I'm having a shit day. I'm actually not going that well today. And thank you for acknowledging that and helping me out. And, you know, there's a difference. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert in this stuff that you are, but there's different ways people look at bravery and shutting up and putting your armour on. I don't think it's the great way to go in this situation. What, what do you think about that? Well, I have an entire chapter in the book that's about embracing vulnerability. Beautiful. And, you know, if, if all you're doing is pretending to be strong, you're still pretending right? And I actually believe that vulnerability is the most powerful and the only way to truly access our greatest strength. It's not armoring up and going, yeah, no, I'm good because we're too afraid to say, actually, I'm I'm struggling. But actually, there's a power that comes from saying, you know, I'm struggling, you know, or as people have asked me, how am I? I'm like, I'm everything. I can be a two out of 10 in the day and I can be an 11 out of 10 in the same space of three hours. So I'm a bit all over the shop. But by sharing with others when, where we're struggling, and I'm not saying the whole world, you know, it's like people we can trust and we're, we're safe with. And if you're in a leadership role, no, it's not about confiding all of our struggles and apprehensions and insecurities with everybody. People are looking to leaders to role model deliberate calm and unbounded optimism. And absolute leaders need to be leading from that space. However, they also need a safe place to be able to share how they're really feeling and their own vulnerability and their own apprehensions and their own fears and misgivings because that's what it is to be human. And I think that's what allows us to forge the deepest connections with people and then you've got this, I, I have a chapter, one chapter that's focused entirely on women and another that's for men, though men and women would get value from each. But I think we live in a society, we know this, with the toxic masculinity, particularly for men, yeah. of men, there's a shame trigger about men appearing weak. You know, it's like, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Because we can't say, actually, I'm really struggling or I'm feeling so alone. And actually some men say they could share that with someone else versus even their wife because they feel they have to be always strong and always yeah. together and always on top of everything and no no problems too big. And I think there's an enormous power that can come by just saying, you know, I don't have it all together. Not Not today, not in this moment. You know, I can figure it out, but I'm struggling right now. And that allows others to access us and it allows people to connect and form way more beautiful, meaningful, richer relationships too. Which I think is something that we're observing, we're seeing actually happen at the moment, even though they're not human to human as in physically, that it's the virtual world and people are stepping in. Just back to the story about men, you know, for, for me, and one of the things that drives me in my work, which quite a few of my listeners will know, is I lost my father to suicide. And that was a... You know, a very, very independent, young 61-year-old guy who had a slight stroke and because um, he was a builder. And he wasn't building then, but he lost his sense of dependence. And 
had two attempts at taking his life and, in, and left us a note to say after the first one that he felt like he was a burden and he didn't, he no longer belonged. However, he never told us that. Yeah. Um, and then he, and then he went ahead and, you know, he took his own life six months later. And you know, for men and for women who are listening to this, get men to talk more. I think it's a really important point that you bring up. I'm so glad there's something in the book that, you know, and if there are guys reading the book, don't go past that chapter. Read that bloody chapter and, and step into it. And I feel really strongly about that, but as a woman as well. And for me, I'm married to a guy who's very much an Aussie guy who's very much <laughs> um, of that ilk of, you know, be strong, not one to cry, all that. And I know right now he's been in hospital for 12 days. I know he does not like being the sick one in hospital. Yeah. It's not like that he's had so many people sending well wishes via me or to him directly. He, I know he is wouldn't be liking. I mean, yeah. I mean, who would like it, right? But I think that's probably pretty confronting for him and I know he'll come out of this. But I also believe that just that willingness to say, you know, I'm not having a great day and for why, any women who are listening to this too, to give our the men in our lives the space to be able to be that way too yes. and not be like freak out because, oh, my God, you know, you're supposed to be strong, you know, <laughs> you know you're supposed to be my rock, you can't be... You know, it's okay and we have to do our own work. I mean, we all need to do our own work and I think for any marriage to work, frankly, we have to all do our own work. It's not just a one-party thing. And I think but for all of us right now, we're all feeling, I think we're in this moment, this global moment of collective vulnerability as we all go, what the hell is happening and what's the future going to look like and will my life ever return to the life it was like weeks ago, such a short time ago, but to have faith, and this is where, um, you know, whether or not you're, it's not about religion, but to have faith and to walk this path of faith over fear that I, I also have written about, that even in the midst of the darkest times, good things can happen and we can find good things. And I think adversity has a way of introducing us to dimensions of our own humanity that we would not discover in ordinary, happy, easy, calmer waters. And it's my hope and part of why I feel a really strong sense of purpose right now is to help be a catalyst, to help people have that transformation, come out of this with what they call post-traumatic growth. Yeah. Come out of this going, I didn't like it, wasn't fun, wouldn't have chosen it ever, never, like never, ever, ever, never. But you know what? Who I am as a person is I experience life differently and I have a richer experience of life because of having gone through that storm. Yeah, I think it's a really good point is we are all seeing as we are, as we're humans and we're hardwired for bad news and whatnot, we're, we're looking at the downside. So, you know, in amongst all of the downside, what's the upside for people? And I'm sure there'll be growth. We're seeing amazing things happening around the world, you know, singing on balconies in Italy yep. and these these sorts of things. Um, you know, I've been on some calls today with people and just we're just sharing and people who used to be competitors in business who are actually openly sharing things with each other at the moment. Yeah. It's sort of weird that it's taken this for us to step into our humanity. Now, here's the, the sort of the next question then. It's around I sort of think there's a simplicity in all of this. It's like connection and belonging. They're, they're simple things that we want as human beings, but forever we seem to be chasing the complex stuff. Like we're trying to work out the next way to split an atom or we're trying to work out the next way to build the tallest building or whatever it might be. What is it with human beings in your experience, Margie, that gets them to be more romanced by trying to find the complex stuff than, than the simple things like being human? 
Oh, I think it's just part of the, the human nature that there is for many, many a drive to explore and push the boundaries of what's been done before. And yep. I was on uh, Facebook Messenger this morning having a video chat with my son in New York. And I said, Lachlan, isn't it amazing that you and I can just be looking at each other, having a brilliant conversation in real time, looking at each other's faces, no, no pixelation, not costing either of us a cent besides the price of our Wi-Fi or, the, or our phone. I said, isn't this just amazing? And he's like, what do you mean, mum? I'm like, that we can even do this. 20 years ago, you could, 10 years ago, I couldn't do this. Yeah. And so as much as we could say, it's just great, just simply just to sit with each other and be with each other and, you know, let's all sit around the campfire and make life simple. I think as human beings, we are wired to push frontiers in different yes. ways. And that's been a frontier of technology that's been pushed in the last 10, 15, 20 years and thank goodness for that. How blessed are we that we have that? Of course, we wouldn't have this global pandemic if there weren't planes that had us all flying around the world either. So, you know, there's upsides and downsides to the fact we live in this incredibly complex, modern, technological age of travel and of innovation. But uh, so I think, yes, we are wired for belonging and connection and we mustn't lose that on our quest for exploration and creating and achieving and and you know I think it's natural for people to want to do better than their competitors and build their business and grow market share but as you say to your point right now in the midst of this no one who's running one airline wants the other airline to go under you know we, we want all the airlines to be able to weather this storm and we want the department stores to weather this storm we don't want it restaurant chains to go under we don't we don't want that no one yeah. wants that and so I think right now we realize you know the world will be better if we can all help get through this and if everyone has to take a little bit of pain we'd rather that than the others going down and I know and I'm sure there are people who aren't thinking that way but I see so many people that are to your point absolutely let's finish off with helping to continue to promote this book of yours that is that you should be doing your world tour now but you're not because conferences and all these things can't happen so um, if people want to get hold of the book or if they want to connect with you and and follow you on whatever platforms that are what's the best way to do that Oh, look, I'm on all the platforms. I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. But my book, I, I would just tell people to go to my website, margiewarrell.com. There yep. is a page there that's dedicated to You've Got This where there's links to all the online booksellers. And, of course, there's videos on there of me speaking and there's all, my blog, everything else. But if you're on social media or anywhere, just connect wherever you happen to be. And, of course, you can just Google the book name, You've Got This in My Name and the funny thing is, Mark, it's in airport bookstores all around Australia and the United States right now, but um, not a good time to be in airport bookstores. <laughs> it's, um, it's a perfect storm. It's like, you know, right in the middle of your, of your launch of your book and, uh, well, but you know what, you're, uh, you know, you've, you've got this, Margie. You've got this. You know that yourself. Oh, You'll yes, get through. Um, aren't I saying that a hundred times a day? I have got this, Margie. You can figure it out and there's good to be found in this moment. So. Hey, I just want to finish up by saying thank you also for accepting my connection request because, you know, it's only been in the last couple of weeks. We've been connected, but I shot you a note. You shot one back really quickly. We've got together, had a good conversation. So I want to say thank you for being such a, an open and good human to do that for me. And thanks for being on the uh, podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Take care, Mark. Well, that was such an inspiring episode with Margie Worrell. To get the opportunity to bring her onto the show, uh, someone who travels around the world uh, speaking on 
massive stages about bravery and courage and, and facing into your fears. It was an absolute privilege to have her on today. If you like this episode, why not rate it five stars? And if you loved it, share it with your friends. And until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.